Want to teach your kids financial literacy, but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving, while kids and teens use a card of their own to build money confidence. As a parent, you can send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and more. It's a convenient way to run your household, customized to your family's needs, and the easy way to raise financially smart kids. Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash ACAST. Hello, everybody. Welcome to this Monday edition of The Call. I hope your team was successful in the grand finals over the weekend. But uh, if your teams weren't playing, what a great weekend it was. But we're... Back to business here on Ausbiz on this Monday morning live from our Brangaroo studios. This is the call. Uh, 10 stocks picked by you. I put them to our expert panel. We do it all in one hour. Let's bring in the team for today. Ben Clark from TMS Capital. Ben, g'day. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. And David Lane from Ord Minute in, uh, in Brisbane. Mate, I thought your Broncos... We're going to do it last night. I think all of Australia, if you weren't a Penrith supporter, you're all going for the Broncos. Yes, exactly right. It was uh, an amazing game. Um, both teams played very well, but yeah, Penrith, uh, Nathan Cleary just oh, yeah took it on his shoulders and decided that uh, they were going to win. He is a freak, isn't he? He's a one-man wrecking ball, that bloke. He is sensational. Uh, But two great grand finals over the weekend. Hey, let's get into the stocks uh, today. This half hour, we're going to look at Cog Financial Services, uh, Helia Group, AMP, Suncorp, and the Reject Shop. Uh, Stock of the day. Oh, well, there are, I suppose we could do one of three and we'll pr- probably cover all three of them in this context and try and work it out if you're a shareholder of all three. Superloop, I thought after it confirmed its $2.85 a share bid for Symbio has lapsed following a counter offer from Aussie Broadband late last week, offering a $3.15 a share counter bid, which a uh, higher cash component and lower due diligence requirements. So how do you work all of this out? We've got a um, um, a sort of a real M&A opportunity playing out at the moment involving three different stocks. Uh, David Lane, let's start with you. If you're a Superloop shareholder, what should you be doing? I think if you're a Superloop shareholder, you you hold stick with them. Uh, you know, I think it's, it's obviously uh, good for Symbio shareholders that uh, they're in the in the perfect seat if there is going to be a, a protracted bidding war. Um, but as far as Superloop's concerned, yeah, they've they've come and said that their current bid is the the last and final bid. But then they've also had the caveat in the absence of a of, of a better competing bid. So mm. although it's best and final, it's not necessarily the the last. So. I think given we've now got two interested parties, we could well be in for a bit of a bidding war for Symbio. Um, Notably, in both cases, the bid now includes some share components. So it it relies upon the the shares of the other companies. So uh, Aussie Broadband, I have to admit, is a stock that we've liked for some time. And late last week actually took some profits in it because I couldn't work out why the share price was as strong as it was. It had sort of rallied fairly strongly uh, over the last couple of weeks. 
not suggesting anything's going on, but of course um, you wouldn't, David. Yeah, when, <laughs> when the uh, when the bid includes Aussie broadband shares, and you do that calculation, and it means that the the bid's worth three dollars fifteen. Well, yep. you're obviously doing better when the share price is higher. So, if you're an Aussie broadband shareholder, still take profits. Oh, look, we've still got a buy recommendation on it. We like it long term and think right. it, it is a very good business. Um, so for a couple of clients, I just took a few profits, about a quarter of their shareholding, just because the share price has rallied very strongly in the short term. Okay. So still a long term buy on Aussie? Still a long term buy, absolutely, yeah. What about Symbio? Uh, Symbio is not a stock that, that we um, have covered, but definitely if you if you are a shareholder, I'd be holding with it because right. when you've got two parties bidding for the company, invariably you tend you tend to find that the um, the bid will be higher. So I'd be sticking with it for the Do moment. Do you think Superloop will come back? Uh, I would suggest so. Yes, given given that they've said uh, it's it's the best and final in the absence of a, a, a competing bid, I think that they'll they'll probably have another look at it. Okay, Ben, what do you reckon? It's not an area I've really closely looked at. Um, they're all pretty small businesses. Superloop's been a bit of a disaster. Yeah, it's had a big recapitalisation event about a year ago. Aussie, look at that chair, uh, the one year chart. It's yeah, a horrible looking. It hasn't chart. been great. So Symbio, I've never really ever looked at to be honest. But there's obviously some sort of. It, it does remind me a bit. Do you remember when Vocus and M2? You know, there's. Yeah. There, it's there's an M&A cycle that tends to happen um, in this area of the market. So I guess it's interesting that it's sparking off now. Um, so Symbio's obviously got an asset there that these um, that these businesses are both very keen on. Um, I'd sort of echo David's comments. You know, if you're in Symbio, you definitely sit. Um, when you've got cash and script, it's always like it's a bit difficult to say definitively what a bid is worth, yeah. you know, because the, sh- the share prices can move around a fair bit. Um, so maybe it's Superloop coming back with a, a better cash component of their bid. And Have you been an Aussie broadband fan? No. Have you followed it? No. At all? No. Right. It's, 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 again, like it's, it's, it's probably one, I mean, look, founder-led business, but definitely missed some metrics after it came to market. Right. And, um, it hasn't been one we've we've gone near. I, I we were shareholders in, we did well in telcos for a period, and then Focus really left a bad, bad taste in my mouth some years ago. So right. we've been a bit wary. Like there's a lot of accounting <laughs> wizardry that can happen in these businesses, and I right. learned the hard way. Yeah. Ben, you sound as though you need therapy over <laughs> some of the telcos. That yeah. You just went, not not going to touch one ever again. Well, <laughs> you shouldn't say that, but um, um, it. You just got to remember, you got to learn your lessons. And right. When, when you got these roll-ups, it can come undone very quickly. Right. So, um, Aussie broadband has had a lot of fans. Though. It has. It has a, yeah. in the market. Yeah, it has. It has. Um, seen as a really good operator, but again, like there's been acquisitions, and I, I think if you look at the track record, the business hasn't really delivered on expectations. Right. And, um, I'd be wanting to see that. Some exceeding expectations. There's been a, I think, a lot of the customer acquisition that's been going on. Um, but again, it's like a pretty small little business, and we tend to steer clear of that area of the market. Okay. It's not our. All right. Niche. So you're steering clear of ABB and Superloop as well. Yep. 
Okay. All right. Let's get into the uh, stocks of the day that you want us to uh, have a look at. And first on your list, uh, Ella wants to know um, about COG Financial Services, David Lane, the uh, equipment finance provider, uh, basically a finance broker and leasing broker. Yes, yeah, it's uh, it's a good little business. It's uh, again one of those uh, you know, relatively tightly held stocks that does have good management that are that are uh, entrenched in the business. Uh, we like it. We've got a buy recommendation on it. Um, there's two components I think that we like about Cog in that they've got exposure, as you said, to equipment. Uh, equipment finance uh, and particularly as far as the renewable energy rollouts concerned they've got a yeah. uh, an, an interest in that um, and then secondly as far as their um, car finance is concerned the the benefit that we're seeing through the FBT rules to have a large take up of electric vehicles uh, we see that there's also some some upside there uh, well managed business they've got a great balance sheet and um, their their last result wasn't as good as, as what the market was hoping for, but we think that that in the future they uh, yeah they should deliver some some above average earnings. Okay, all right. Do you follow it, Ben? I don't, um, but I had a look look at it. It looked pretty interesting. Uh, you know, this area of the market's been really beaten up. The the non bank financials have you know I think there's two components to it. Smaller micro caps have had a really awful couple of years on the ASX, um, and. You know, the banks have obviously held up pretty well in this environment, um, but outside of that, it's been a bit of a bloodbath. And, um, you know, I think we all know some of the reasons for that. There's a lot of concerns about, you know, where the direction that the economy's headed with interest rate hikes and, you, you know, the all of these um, uh, businesses have generally got lending books and the ability yep. of uh, customers to make good on those repayments. But it also creates opportunities because the banks have, you know, you speak to anyone, the banks have massively pulled back from non-traditional lending. And, um, you know, whether you're a farmer and you need to buy a tractor or you're a, a business that needs to buy a, I don't know, a printing press or, or renewable assets, um, it's opened up a space for players like COG to really sort of dominate. And um, that looks like they look like they're making good grounds in doing that. Mm. Um, as David said, they've got a, a good little um, Novated leasing business, you know, much smaller cousin to Macmillan Shakespeare or Smart Group, but you know, we know these can be good businesses. Uh, it's trading on like nine times forward earnings on a 6% fully frank dividend yield. So like valuations mm. are good but they look good right across the space. It's not just COG. Right. Um, so you've got to put that into comparison. It's got See, a good I'm surprised how badly Credit Corp has done as well. I yeah. thought this would yep. be the perfect market for Credit Corp. They're a, a decent They're a decent sort of player business. in that. Oh, they're a great business. Uh, yeah. Very well managed. Their CEO is very yeah. well regarded. But I think, like I remember when I listened to their result in August, the, it's weird. The biggest issue they've got is actually buying the the debt ledgers, yeah, um, yeah. and so you've always got the managing the arrears part of it. But the, the debt ledgers haven't been coming up for sale, and that's right. kind of a key component. Right. They've also got a you know they've pushed into the US pretty hard, yeah. and there's been things there. But the soft landing or even no landing is looking more and more likely as we keep travelling through. It's good so, for them. They're sort of that yeah. second string. Yeah. non-financial that you were talking about that yeah. have just been hit so hard. Yeah, absolutely. So look, I'll go a hold, um, right. but it's interesting. And I, I, I think, what's the catalyst? The, the, the catalyst 
you speak to a lot of the small cap fundies and they're like, it's been like a liquidity crunch that's happened in small cap land. Yeah. And I don't know when it reverses, but I know when it does, small caps have massively underperformed the broader market. And, you know, running up forward, there'll be a time when there's a catch up that happens. It's just inevitable. Right. So as right. that happens, these sort of businesses will come on the radar. Yeah, yeah. But they're not going to turn now. It, it's it's got to be getting close. Like right. I, I'm still the view we're in a bull market, right. and and bull markets are led by the blue chips, which we've seen, yep. and and then the money starts to filter down, mm. and that's that's how okay. bull markets play out. And then, so it's you know it's it's a filtering down process. So maybe it's a 2024 story. Right. Okay. But you're in the camp of a Santa rally leading into the end of the year. Well, like you know, this month's been. Last month has been pretty awful, yep. but we know why, like bond yields all jumped higher. Uh, and September traditionally is a bit of a weaker month. We've had this US debt thing going on. I still think the bull market's in place, right. and we, but we need to see bond yields settle yep. for things to go back to fundamentals yep. as we yeah, saw yeah. for most of this year. Yeah, the bond yields are giving a really mixed, but well, not a mixed message. They yeah. tell us a cr- equities crunch is coming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> All right, our next stock, uh, Alfonso wants to view David Lane on Healy Group, another uh, financial, small financial, but in the um, in the loan mortgage. Um, market, the um, uh, the insurance market. That's right. Yes. Yeah. Formerly known as Genworth. Um, so they provide the uh, mortgage insurance for the, the banks. Um, the It's a market that obviously is in, will continue to have a, a fairly strong demand. Um, I guess the, the issue with Helia though, is that they've lost a number of major customers. So in the last few years, they've lost Westpac and, and National Bank. So now they're very heavily reliant on CBA. So CBA is the only one of the major four banks that there is now a customer and accounts for about 65% of its overall turnover. So um, very heavily re- reliant on CBA. That's good while CBA continues to be a customer because they're the largest um, home loan bank in the, in the country. But if for some reason, CBA was to, to also decide that they they were going to move away from Helia. That would be a, a fairly uh, a massively negative uh, impact on the business. Um, fundamentally, it actually looks very very good. They're they're on a PE ratio of around five times. Dividend yield eight and a half percent. Fully franked. So as Ben said, it's it's one of those small cap companies that fundamentally look very very attractive, um, but. As Ben also said, it's it, we haven't really seen the market focusing on a lot of those uh, smaller cap companies, and, and particularly as far as the financials are concerned. Um, we've got a hold recommendation on it, uh, again, mainly based on those those uh, financials and those fundamentals. But um, yeah, I, I probably would be waiting for a an uptick in the the interest in those small caps to to actually enter the mm. stock. Ben. Yeah, um, it, like this is a really tricky one because what that chart before doesn't tell you is it's it's paying out massive dividends. Right. So it's it's kind of like a loan book, which in a way is in runoff. And um, as long as everyone keeps repaying, like it, it paid 28 cents fully frank last year. So, you know, sort of look at where the share price was yep. a year ago. You ended up getting like 13% fully franked. Wow. And this year, it's forecast to pay 11% fully frank based on the current share price. So the 
like that's been the story of this stock is I reckon if you bought it on the float, you probably had all of your money paid back to you in dividends. I mean, don't quote me on that, but it'd be yep. something like amazing. Right. And, you know, David's right. Like it looks seriously cheap, um, but it's cheap for a reason, which is the CBA walks, they're in big trouble. I mean, there'll still be profits that come out of the business because they've, they've got all these loans locked in, which they've insured. And yep. as long as they keep getting repaid- they, For a number of years into the future. For a number of years yeah. in the future. Yeah. So it's not like it's um, terrible, but it would mean that they're not able to regenerate the loan book. Right. Um, I would also expect that CBA is well aware of their um, concentration and is going back to them saying, "Hey, have you got yeah the you margins got a deal? Yeah. yeah, yeah, the margins will be getting squeezed for sure." Um, and we are in this weird kind of housing market where I don't know, like you could sort of say, "Well, it's getting less and less affordable, so more people need mortgage insurance." But I, I still feel like there's the bank of mum and dad. Like it's just such a waste of money if you can avoid it. Um, mm. If you can lend your kids a bit of extra money to avoid mortgage insurance, it saves them a lot of money. Or even go guarantor. Go and guarantor or find a way around it. So, um, I mean, their their new loan origination was awful last half. And, um, you know, I think that CBA was just writing less loans and then there's less people using mortgage insurance on on those loans. So I'll say a hold because I think your best, like if you look back in three years and the share price is still around where it's trading or even a bit lower, You've, you've probably had like thirty percent in dividends, mm. so you, mm. you're happy. Yeah. Um, you just don't want that that bank to walk. No. Uh, do we know how long Commonwealth Bank's locked in for? Uh, do they announce terms? I reckon they, they they would. It would be like from memory, it's like on rolling three year contracts or oh, something like so that. It's not and I'm not ten years no. or twelve years. No. Like I think Jumbo Interactive have with Tadcorp yeah. or anything like that. Yeah, CBA no. is well aware. I would say that this is a yeah. competitive market. Right, and you don't why lock in for a long time because yep. you want to keep going back and sure, yeah, getting a better deal. Yep. All right, uh, Ben Keith, let's go from um, small financial groups to uh, what was previously a giant financial <laughs> group and is probably now amongst the small ones. Uh, Keith wants a view on AMP. Um, <laughs> yeah, has, has it got? Has it got itself out of trouble? Is, uh, is the worst behind the AMP? I, I, I think it is. Yeah, I think right. it is, but I still wouldn't buy it. Right. I, I, like, to, to me, there's still like a substandard bank, insurance company, and advice business. And yeah. But I think, you know, these enormous amounts of money that they've had to pay back to customers and this huge change that has happened in the sector, which, you know, like if you look at Hub24 and Net Wealth, yeah. And what the catas- the incredible growth that they've gone through, that should have been AMP. They, they used to own the platform that everyone, a lot of people invested through. And, you know, there'll be books written about what went wrong with AMP, but a lot did. And if you look at it today, Koshi, like it's, you'd sort of say, well, oh, $1.25, it's got to be cheap. It's on mm. 18 times forward earnings. It's not wow. that cheap. No. Um, and 4% fully frank dividend yield. I still think the brand's massively tarnished. Um, And, you know, the biggest thing is still in advice. Like, that's still, I think, where they see the potential for growth. But I I, I can't see it. Like, you know, I I work in the advice industry. Am I going to move everything to AMP? No way. You know, so, like... And then People the, have long memories, don't they, when they it comes do. to this? Yep. When you've got clients yep. that are depending on you, if you choose a supplier, 
it's got to have a reputation that supports yours. Absolutely. And and we know that AMP for years now has been under-investing in their technology and in their platform because they just yeah. haven't had the financial capacity to do it. And then you've had the hubs and net wealth and premium to a lesser extent, which have been pumping hundreds of millions of dollars. Like They're just not going to catch up. Right. So what they've got is now an inferior product, which they still charge and like a... A much higher okay. fee than. So the where does AMP go? Um, that's a good question. I like. I, I think at some stage, someone could have a crack at it because I would have thought that the 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 multiple of the parts is worth more than the whole. Right. The balance sheet is in really good shape. So you know that we know that, and I, as I said, I think a lot of these payouts have now been done. Where do they go? Hmm. I, I don't. I don't know. You know. I. I, I think. Like it's in a death spiral. The, yeah. the, the chart tells you that. Because if they're deluded by KPM Wealth Management mm. and advisors, mm. what option do they have well, to reinvent? The, 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 the problem with like business is that you'll have a new CEO that will come in who's got a four-year contract and is going to yeah. get paid a million dollars a year. Are they going to make the hard decision about what mm. to do or are they just going to get four years through and hope to make some money on the LTIs and, and get paid? And... You know, this is where, like, if you look at net wealth, like Matt Heine's, you know, that's a yeah. founder-led business. Yeah. Um, they just don't stand a chance no. because they, they'll, they'll make ruthless decisions because they're the largest shareholders and they want to grow the business yeah. over 20 years. Yeah. And that's where I want to be. And also, he comes from a great family of founders. Yeah. The whole business. Yeah, yeah, uh, completely. My old man used to work for them years ago as, right. a, as a coal trader, around the world, the biggest coal trader in the world. Wow. Um, all started, must be Matt's great, great, great grandfather, came out as a butcher. Would you believe? Yeah, kidding. No, no, How they good. built this trading empire and now into financial services. It's, it's incredible. Chips off the old block through the generation. Um, what do you think, um, uh, David, on uh, on AMP? Yeah, fairly similar thoughts to, to Ben, to be honest, that uh, it, it's a business that, um, and as you said, it, it used to be one of the majors, one of the, the blue chip stocks, but is, is now no longer that. Um, they have been through the ringer uh, many, many times. The, their balance sheet is now actually in good shape and the businesses that they have, given that they've sold off a lot of their non-core businesses, are still probably okay. Uh, they're focusing, um, Alexis George, the new CEO, is focusing on, on wealth management. Their bank is actually a, a reasonable bank and has the potential to um, improve market share a, a little bit. Um, we've got an accumulate recommendation on it and that's mainly based on the fact that we think that there is the potential for profits to improve from here. Um, the, as I said, the balance sheet's in good shape. There's still some capital return to happen. So there, there's about another $350 million that management are intending to pass over to shareholders, although they've put that on hold because they've got some more regulatory issues or um, uh, some court cases around the buyer of last resort in relation to a number of their, their financial advice practices. Um, yeah, we've got an accumulate recommendation on it. Personally, I think that there are much better in investments around, yeah. so I haven't been putting my clients into it though. Okay. Have you been putting them into Suncorp? George wants to know. The, uh, <laughs> the Queensland-based financial services group and has um, had to restructuring with 
um, offers for parts of its business? Yeah, well, Suncorp we we do actually uh, you know think is is a good business. Uh, again, both of its its two core businesses being the the insurance and the the banking are reasonable businesses um, and management are obviously keen to focus on their, their insurance business if they were able to get the, the sale of the bank over the line. Um, but overall, we, we actually think that insurance is a business to be in, that they're able to pass on a lot of the, the higher costs and, and inflation to customers. And there's increasing demand for insurance, and, and obviously that's what Suncorp management are, uh, are focused on. We just saw last week that the CEO of the Suncorp Bank has left. Uh, he had been in place and, and had actually improved the, the bank quite well, but obviously wasn't waiting to hang around for the whether ANZ takes them over or not. Yeah. Uh, so they're, they're a little bit... Um, you know, left without a, a CEO of the, the banking side at the moment. So in the short term, there's some uncertainty around Suncorp. Um, we've got a hold recommendation on it for that reason. So I think if you've got them in your portfolio, I'd be, be sticking with them. They've got a good yield. As I said, both core businesses are good. But over the next three to six months, we really need some clarity as to in which direction they'll end up going. Okay. Uh, ben, almost a five-year high for some yeah, shares Yeah, as I didn't well. actually realise how well it's done over the last year. Yeah. And, um, you know, like insurance companies have obviously done well, like bond yields pushing higher. They're making much higher profits as a result of that. Uh, getting rid of the bank is a great move if they can manage to do it because, you know, banking is a scale game and they just don't have scale. Um, and the insurance business is what the market wants at the moment because um, you know for the first time in years insurance companies are earning a decent return on their floats uh, so look I'll, I'll go a hold as well uh, 13 times forward 5.3 percent fully frank looks okay to me still uh, valuation wise and you know a bit of a catalyst there if they can offload the banking business um, I guess you're making a bit of a call on bond yields, but you know I think everyone's gravitating towards this higher for longer sort of thematic. Yep. So maybe the you know the earnings on that float continue to hold up well for some time. So I'll go a hold without sort of seeing what's going to give it that next leg higher. I think right. it's largely is that the same with most of the banks and financial sector. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. I, I like and particularly with the insurers, I just think. Um, a bond yield's going to go through 5%. I really struggle to see it. You yeah. never say never, but it, it, I, you know, let's hope it doesn't happen. Um, but that's kind of from here what needs to happen. I mean, the other thing we haven't spoken about, so I think just managing an insurance company these days is getting so much harder, like where to reinsure and what not to, mm. to take on the risk yourself. And the margins that they're making, um, they really need to be able to pass that on to their customers. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, they've probably been doing a pretty good job so far. So, yeah, okay. go a hold. Hold from both. Yep. Uh, Fitstock um, on the agenda today. Ben Carl wants a view on the Rejoit shop, the uh, uh, the discount retailer, um, which you would think with economy sort of slowing, yeah. retail sales going yeah. down, people tightening the belts, just the name alone would start to attract more, co- <laughs> more, more customers. Reject shop means yeah, cheap. It does. And, you know, it has been a, a reject <clears throat> on the share market, but it's, it had a much better result in August. This, right. this company's gone through a string of management changes over the last 
five years. I can't, I, it's another one I don't really follow, but I, I haven't been able to keep up. Um, it's been a disaster, a good last year, but disaster over the last 10. Um, pretty sure it's had a recap uh, consolidation during that time. Uh, look, I had a quick look at the result. It sales up 6%, pretty good for a retailer, mm. but it was the EBIT nut line was up 36%. So new CEO, again, um, obviously been taking some cost out of the business, much better gross margins. Um, and you're right, like I, I think like West Farmers is a stock that we do have and um, uh, like the Kmart side of that result was outstanding. Yeah. And um, you know, it's, it's people looking for value again and they're watching what they're spending. Um, but people are still spending importantly and you can make really good margins. I mean, mm. things like Halloween and stuff like that, that's where people yeah. go and buy these disposable sort of items. So uh, they've announced an on-market buyback, pretty small, but they are doing one, sending a good message to the market, started paying a dividend again. It's on 18 times, but it's probably not that expensive. I'll, I'll go buy. This is okay. my, my buy for today. Um, I, I think it. Um, I think you know the market's telling you it's 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 coming back into its zone and could do well going forward. It is interesting. Like I've got a bunch of grandkids, and their parents used to talk about oh, great stuff that kids wear. They'd buy a seed. Yeah. And now they talk about Kmart. Yeah. Because uh, yeah. there's such a good range of clothes for kids and toys yeah. and things like that and good value and a fraction of the price yeah. and um you know certainly with kmart pretty good store experience when you go in there yeah. it's a very well run business yep yeah. yeah um david what do you think of the reject shop yeah pretty much for all of the the reasons that ben suggested uh we've got an accumulate recommendation on it um their result was an excellent result it beat expectations and I guess the reject shop is in the, the right place at the right time because it's spent the last four years going through a, a fairly big restructure, cutting their costs, improving their, their product mix. Um, and as you rightly said, we're now at the point where people are wanting to save money uh, and the reject shop is, is in that position. So, yeah, I think it, it sits pretty well in the, in the retail landscape. Um, yeah, we've got an accumulate recommendation. Our fair value on the stock is $6.20, so still think there's some, some uh, movement left in it. Okay. All right. I, um, a double buy on the reject shop to finish off a half hour. And um, let's recap the, uh, the first five stocks and I suppose you could say our multiple um, stocks of the day. Uh, Superlooper, a hold from David, a no from, um, from Ben Symbio. If you're a shareholder there, hold on because you're in the middle of competing bids. Um, Aussie Broadband, long-term buy from uh, David and Ords. Uh, and uh, Ben is not really interested in these second-line telcos at the moment. Uh, Cog Financial, a buy from David, a hold from Ben. Helia, a hold from both. Uh, AMP, a no from both, although Ords does have an accumulate. Suncorp, a hold from both. And Reject Shop, a buy from both. Here on the call, we've been tracking our own high-conviction fantasy fund as picked by the Investment Committee. You can see the last committee uh, meeting on the website at the moment, osbiz.com. <coughs> Let's see how it's been performing. Uh, the fund is up just over 9% and uh, next committee meeting will be uh, coming up in the next day or two. Uh, this half hour, Fortescue Metals is on the agenda, Illumina, Ampol, AGL and James Hardy. 
Uh, David Lane, what do you think of Fortescue, the biggest pure play iron ore producer? Yes, it's uh, certainly the, the biggest and has the best leverage as far as uh, it's a low-cost producer and has done a lot of good work over the last few years to reduce its debt burden. So uh, it is very well leveraged to uh, an improving iron ore price. But then also, um, being well leveraged, it also means that it's uh, exposed when we see a reduction in the iron ore price. So very reliant on the outlook for China uh, and the, the potential growth prospects there. And like many people around the world, we're a little bit lukewarm on the, the outlook for China uh, and the prospect that we could well see iron ore prices coming down over the next 12 to 18 months. On top of that, we've also seen with Fortescue a succession of executives come and go. Uh, so although Andrew Forrest isn't actively involved in the business on a day-to-day -day basis, some would suggest that he's still actively involved in the business uh, and is pulling a lot of the strings. So, so do you want yeah, him to be actively involved or not? Oh, he's done a very, very good job and, and built the business uh, over a long period of time. And when he was in charge as CEO, did a, a great job. So right. certainly if if that's what he wants to get back involved with, uh, I don't think the market would be too concerned about mm. that. But I think Twiggy's got so many other things um, on in his, his life that he's probably focused on some other things. Um, so, yeah, in, in light of all of that, we've got a lightened recommendation on Fortescue. Uh, fair value is actually about $15, so think that it's a uh, you know, fair bit below where it's currently trading. So, yeah, I'd be taking some profits if, if you've got it. But, uh, again, the underlying resource and underlying business is a, is a great business, so it's still going to be here for, for the long term. Yeah. Uh, ben, it's a low-cost yeah. miner of iron ore, even though it's not great quality what yeah. it produces, right. but even so, yeah. uh, it's just digging stuff out of the ground, yeah. which it does well. Yeah, it does. And um, I'll go buy. Like, I, I, I kind of think, like, it's trading on nine times forward, but it's always, like, what's your iron ore price? You've got to use an yeah. iron ore price assumption. And, um, um, like... I'll sort of say a buy because I, I think a like consensus analyst estimates are still way below the current spot price of iron ore. They're all using like ninety, ninety-five dollars or something. It's right. one twenty. Yep. So it's iron ore's got to drop a long way just for consensus estimates to be hit. And if it stays up at these levels, um, you're going to see consensus upgrades coming right. through the next year, which will spark share price movement. Um, I'm not as worried about the staff stuff. I know it's not probably a great look, but those machines will keep pulling iron ore out of the ground regardless of who's doing what. Um, and the profits will ultimately come through. I mean, the, there's also this, you know, the Fortescue futures part of the business. Again, it's tiny. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Does that, does that That's mu tricky. muck up? Maybe. Your analysis of the business? Well, it makes a, it too complicated? It's such a small part of what they're putting back in. Right. I think... It's probably not great in that people look and go, oh, don't get it. And mm. I don't think it's ever going to be the sort of profitable machine that the iron ore business is. Right. And maybe you could argue Twiggy might be better getting the dividends and doing that in a private business as opposed to in Fortescue. But 
you know, that's his. That's the, he has the right to decide how he does that. They do pay out a lot to shareholders. They don't do. They? Like it's on a nine percent gross yield, six right. and a half fully frank. They've paid a lot of specials, and you know, I, I get what David's saying about China, but everyone's saying that, yep. and the iron ore price is still one hundred and twenty dollars a ton, and yeah, so. Yeah, there's a slowdown in China that's happened and it's all underwhelmed us, but the iron ore price has held up amazingly well. Mm. Um, so, like, kind of counter consensus, but I'll go by. Okay. All right. Um, next stock uh, on the agenda, uh, Ben, uh, Eric wants a view on Illumina, has interest in, um, in Tomago, doesn't like the smelter, yeah. and also in the parent ship. That's right. Overseas. Yeah, I'll, I'll go sell on this one. Um, it's almost for the exact reasons that I've put it by on Fortescue, which is um, the the aluminium and um, alumina price have been very weak. Um, yep. And alumina is quite a high cost producer of these minerals. So last year it actually made a loss. Um, this, like, this is a business where small movements in the aluminium price can be massive movements in their profit. And it's right. it's so hard. Like there are so many moving parts in this company that I don't think anyone could convincingly put a buy, hold, or a sell on it. But I'll right. put a sell just because I think you know you need to be a rocket scientist and, to work out what it's going and to and also producing aluminium aluminium yep. uh, is a massive energy Huge. play, isn't yeah. it? So yeah. um, that's why they're all on lakes trying to get hydroelectricity Completely. or. Yeah. or near coal mining areas to, to so that they're, they're close to the power stations that, that use coal. And as we know, price of energy through the roof, which Completely. would affect and, uh, All over the world. And um, there's no, that's that's a structural change, I think, that's happening. So yeah, I like you could, this is one you could look at in another year's time and it could be a dollar 50 or it could be 50 cents. Right. <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah. And it'll just depend on about seven different cogs that are moving and whether they move in their favour or against them. Um, But it's too hard for me. Well, I was just going to say, you took the words out of my mouth, is this a case that, hey, there are a lot easier companies that you can predict and and invest in for your basket of 20 or 30 in your portfolio? Why do you need a stock like this? Well, I I mean... Is that your rationale? Absolutely. Like... There are some companies that serve a purpose that yeah. we all need. You need these companies to keep going. It doesn't mean you need to own them. Yeah. And um, it's like, you know, the refiner, we're going to talk about Ampol soon. Yeah, yeah. You know, they're, they're, they're such hard businesses, but you need the assets. Yep. Um, Qantas has been one for many years um, and even sort of BHP, maybe to a lesser extent. But I like, I. <sighs> I want to buy a business which I am 90% certain or 99% certain in five years it's going to be earning a significantly higher profit per share than it is today. Yep. And if it does that, I'm not going to worry too much about the share price. I've got no, no. idea what Illumin is going to earn in no. five years. Okay. Uh, David, what's your view? Uh, yeah, I think Ben um, sums it up very, very well. Uh, and I guess the other issue with Illumina is that they don't have much control because most of their earnings come from a 40% um, interest in alcohol worldwide. So they're not necessarily at the at the driving wheel as far as what their returns are going to be from that business. Um, however, I must say that our analyst has, has looked at it. They actually have a, a hold recommendation on it. Uh, and that's based on the fact that they are um, in a 
a, a commodity that that is needed and there, there is going to be long-term demand for it the res, the last result was a terrible result and we saw that the share price is down as a result um the expectation is that they should start to get back into profitability and start to pay dividends again. Uh, on on that on on that basis, our analyst has a, a view that they're worth about a dollar thirty, so has a hold recommendation on them. Right. Okay. All right. So you're you're going with the analyst recommendation. Well, if if you've got it, I'd I'd be sticking with it. Doesn't know. <laughs> He's trying to be diplomatic within the firm. There is he. Okay. Exactly. Yes, oh. that's right. All right. Yeah. Say no but, more. But as Ben said, it's not one of the necessarily those stocks that you have to have in your in your long term portfolio. Okay. All right. Well played. Uh, a good Nathan Cleary uh, sidestep there, I think. Um, our, our next stock, um, Smith wants a view, um, David on Ampol. The, uh, the big, not only owner of service stations, but uh, re- oil refineries here in Australia, which get a lot of government support as well. It's the uh, the Geelong one they own, don't they? Yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Um, they, yeah, it's, it, at the moment, it's still a business that, that is in uh, demand. And as we see at the Bowser every week, the the oil price is up and they're able to pass on those, those costs instantly uh so you know it's not a business that that has too many concerns about inflation because they're actually passing that inflation on to us um ampoles are a decent business we've got a hold recommendation on it uh trading on a p ratio of 11 times dividend yield five and a half percent and that's fully frank so it's a pretty decent dividend yield from it um it's a good good quality business that will continue to provide reasonable returns. I guess taking a very long-term view over the next 10 years or so, you need to start to think what might happen to the demand for uh, fuel. But at the moment, we're still in an environment in a, in a world where we continue to, to need it on a daily basis. Mm. Um, and Ben, they have, have the shops, convenience stores attached to it as well, which yeah. gives them... Uh, uh, a bit of a retail bent as well. Do they yeah. own all the properties on the service station? I, 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 I don't think they do. Right. I, okay. I'm, I'm pretty sure they don't. So I think they're um, privately run, but they're franchised out, right. you know, sort okay. of thing. Um, yeah. yeah, I'll I'll go hold. As I think Dave's gone hold there. Um, uh, for me, this is a business that had like. Light and Leeton um, has to exist. The government yeah. has to support it. We have to have, make sure like fuel is a national s- sort of security item, yeah. I would have thought. We've had periods where like the whole country has only had like less than 30 days fuel. So we have to make sure we can refine our own fuel. Um, so I think there's almost like a backstop on that. Yeah, It will always be just profitable enough, but it's probably never going to be crazily well profitable no. if you know what i mean and the government will always step in to support i think it too, won't I, I don't think there's any choice there yeah. um the convenience stores i don't know like I, I think you know the jury's still out on that on that strategy it's never really become a big part of that business julian siegel who was there years before you know he was a big proponent of that push i i, I don't know if it's ever really taken hold the other thing i would say is they they've got a fair bit of debt so just you know just mm. to Something to re- remind yourselves. Like I was looking, their, their net interest expense this year is going to be two hundred and fifty million dollars. 
and that profit two two fifty million, million just in interest. interest, the net interest expense. Wow! And their profit is forecast to be, or their EBITDA is like five sixty. Right. So like that's that's big. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. Um, so it's a good reminder that like companies that had debt when it was cheap, there was almost no cost through the P and L of servicing right. it, and now it's becoming a big thing. We saw through the um, reporting season, there was a, like Ramsey was another one where everyone was like, Jesus, yeah. look at the, how much interest they're paying on this debt now. So do they, do they have to put the expiry dates on that debt as well? And to, because we talk about the mortgage cliff for average Australians. Yeah. Uh, you know, a lot of people are now talking about the corporate cliff yeah. yep. um, for yep. exactly the same reason. Yeah, so we're definitely seeing in a lot of um, company presentations more visibility on what the various debt packages look like. Right. You know, the property trust sector is a big one. Yep. So they might have, they'll have multiple debt packages and some are fixed and some are floating. Mm. But there's definitely, if you look like in 2025, 2026, if rates are still where they are now, there's some pain coming because right. they were, you know, financing at two, 3%, it's going to be like seven. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of debt in that space. So Ampol obviously have got either a lot of floating rate debt because it's yep. gone up very rapidly or they've got a lot that's just rolling off at the moment. Okay. All right. Uh, good warning there to uh, check the annual reports, the notes to the annual reports on the, uh, which are usually b- buried in the annual report on when those debts are going to actually mature and what the rollover costs will be. Um, ben Otis wants a view on AGL, the big uh, energy generator and distributor, has had uh, a lot of shareholder activity over the yes. last couple of years yes. and sort of trying to manoeuvre where the company's going to go in the future. Yeah, like Cannon Brooks has obviously yes. took a big stake in it. Um, I think he did sell down a bit of his holding yep. recently and he's done well on it. Um, this is kind of a really interesting business. We don't own it, um, but these guys were seen as the victim of or the, the, the perpetrator of climate change and what was going on and what they're really trying to pivot toward is being part of the solution and leading the charge to renewables and you know still only trading on 10 times forward earnings and a 5% fully frank yield so big move in the share price but it's not like it's expensive um, hmm. there's been state governments you know we had the Victorian government um, sort of extend the Loyang um, power assets. So there's been a bit of that going on. I think there's a realisation that we need to make sure everyone can turn the lights on while this um, this change uh, uh, is driven through the economy. And uh, we've also seen that the energy price cap is going to rise by 37%, which is a pretty scary number for a lot of companies and Again. people. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's great for AGL. <laughs> it's mm. Not so good for a lot of because uh, the last uh, the last increase last year was a massive increase as well. It was, wasn't? yep. And at a time when <coughs> energy sort of coal prices and the like were coming down, and oil was really low, and it interested me. So I went into the yep. um, the government study on on why they increased it so much. And it's basically the cost of generating, the infrastructure cost of generating, rather than the actual inputs that were going into it, which I found interesting. That is interesting. Yeah, because yeah. it's so old. Yeah. Uh, and these then plants the renewables are, you're starting from. Yeah, I mean, up. some of these plants are operating past what was meant to be their use-by dates, yeah. and the maintenance of just keeping them going each year is massive. Yeah. AGL's got a lot of generation kind of locked in and, yeah. and coal prices locked in and that sort of thing. So 
it's like an insurance company that gets a kick up in the premium, but it's you know it's it, 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 its costs haven't really risen right. too much. It's it's all profit, so that's where the market's coming to. Yeah. Yeah. I'll go a hold on that. Hold one on as well. it, yeah. uh, David. What do you reckon on AGL? It is is a pretty complex business. Yes, it is. Yeah, and certainly a, a political hotbed, as you as you said. But AGL um, has continued to do well over the last 12 months uh, and management came out with some very positive earnings forecasts predicting that that earnings should increase by about 142 percent next year so uh, they're benefiting from the the big increase in the wholesale electricity prices they're also benefiting from the fact that the Adelaide and, and Bendigo or Adelaide and Broken Hill batteries are, are coming online. Uh, so they are starting to, to play a, a, a part in that energy transition. Interestingly, with their energy transition, AGL are focused on building batteries and uh, pumping hydro, uh, whereas they've said that they'll let others um, worry about the, the wind and solar farms. So mm-hmm. um, that's their focus as far as the renewable energy is concerned. Um, as you said, Mike Cannon-Brooks hasn't been so happy about the, the business and the fact that uh, yeah, there's, we're still reliant on coal-fired uh, power. But in the short term, that's what the, the country needs. So, yeah, we've got a whole recommendation on it. The share price has done pretty well over the last uh, six months or so, and, and that's the reason that, that we've sort of pulled that back to a, a hold. Uh, but valuation on the, the stock is $12.80, so I still think that there's some upside. And as Ben said, there's a, a reasonable dividend and uh, currently on a PE of about 10 times. And mm. if management forecasts are, are anywhere close to correct, um, yeah, they'll be trading a lot higher over the next 12 months. Yep, okay. And our final stock, Cara wants to view David on James Hardy, the big uh, building products uh, giant, not only here in Australia, but also big in the US as well. Yeah, and it's one of those stocks that uh, during the reporting season was probably one of the, the bright spots that uh, outperformed most of the market's expectations because we'd been hearing a lot about the, the economic slowdown, the fact that um, interest rates are, are having an impact on housing. Um, but what we actually saw, particularly from the, the US, was that their demand continued to be very, very strong. So, um, yeah, we've we've seen a, a, a bit of a weakness since the reporting season, but the reaction during reporting season was fairly positive on um, uh, to, to James Hardy's result. We've got a uh, whole recommendation on it, but fair value at $43. So I think that there's some further uh, upside there, although it's not cheap. It's trading on a PE ratio of around 19 times. So it's one of those expensive growth stocks. And historically, over the last five years, it has actually performed well as far as a, a growth stock's concerned. Obviously, had a, a bit of a, a shorter term impact from uh, first of all the the COVID lockdown and and then the concerns about the economy but medium and longer term it's it's very well managed it's a business that's got um, some great products and should continue to to meet that demand if we continue to have reasonable economic activity around both Australia and the US. Okay all right Uh, hold on James Hardy do you agree Ben? Yep, I'm a hold as well. Right. I, I think this business has uh, performed, like the management's done a great job. 
Um, the United States, as we Dave was saying, uh, the home building space has held up a lot better than everyone expected. Um, and it, it pr provides a product which truly is a game changer to the building industry. Um, I think the other thing that can get lost is, you know, like we all talk about bond yields to death and inflation, all these sort of things. Inflation can be a positive for businesses. You know, they're, it, what, right. what you, only if you can pass it on. If you can pass it on, <laughs> yeah. So not every business, but no. um, if you've got pricing power and yep. the demand is still reasonable from who your customers or clients or whatever, you can pass above and beyond what you're actually your cost structure is doing. And you actually like if you look back at the 70s and 80s on the ASX, we, we, it was a, during those inflationary periods, it was actually a period of very strong earnings growth that mm. we saw across a pretty kind of mature, weird market back in those days. And um, um, I think, you know, this is a business where the highlight has been the gross margin improvement. Um, so that's like they're, they're passing on effectively price rises, which are faster than their cost pressures. Yep. And, you know, that's what you want to see. And demand's still there. Um, let's hope it holds up because, mm. um, you know, that, that rate outlook is still somewhat uncertain. But... You've got to think the we're building close. approvals have fallen off a cliff, they have. haven't they? Yeah. And, um, and then um, you read all these stories about uh, big builders going broke, mm. and I can't I can't remember either James Hardy or Borel or CSR actually saying, "Yeah, oh, we we've got a big rise in in bad debts yeah. because the we're on the hook to all these builders." Yeah. Uh, none of them seem to have mentioned it, so. Maybe they're just asking for cash up front for these builders in this environment. Yeah, and and they'll push that onto their clients. Um, like it's a, it's a really it's in an interesting spot this yep. this sector because like Brickworks was a company that reported last week, and um, you know like very bullish on the long term outlook for building spend yep. in in this country, and and I think you can apply that to America as well. However, um, in the short term, it's absolute mess. You know, like yeah. you know, we've got building approvals at all-time lows, so it's not going to get better anytime soon. Because the approvals have to be sorted yeah. before you know you start physically building. We've still got massive labour con constraints. We've still got way too much red tape amongst councils and state governments and all this sort of thing. But yeah. we are seeing, you know, like him all over. And Dan Andrews has, you know, he, he's made some efforts to try and really start to free up the um, approvals process yeah. and hopefully we start to see yeah. more of that across the With country. With record migration is huge. Brickworks um, got caned on that did. last yeah. week. Did it Did it bounce back? Because we had the boss of Sol Pats on yep. uh, talking to Todd Barlow. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Who's a really impressive bloke. Awesome guy. Um, yeah. And he was dumbfounded with the pullback in Brickworks share price and subsequently the Sol Pat one on the, on the same day. Because yeah. he said the actual building materials only make up 10% yeah. of Brickwork, Brickworks business. Yeah, I, I think it's uh, like last The week, other 90% is all investments. And yeah, property mainly. Property and all that sort of thing. And, and the sole pats yeah, stuff that crossover. feeds through to them. So yeah, yeah like they, they're becoming pretty big businesses now, yeah, um, but sure. they are still quite a liquid, um, weirdly. Yeah. And... Like last week was a period where I think there were a lot of people away from the market. I think there's right. a lot of fundies in France. Right. <laughs> Handle school holidays. Yep, school holidays. Um, so you get these, it has started to bounce back. I think the one negative, but you know, Rob and Lindsay Partridge have flagged it repeatedly to the market is these energy costs. Yes. You know, 
It's very energy intensive to make yeah. bricks and yeah. that's not much they can do about that. No, exactly. All right, let's uh, recap the uh, the final five stocks. Uh, Fortescue, take some profits from David and uh, and Ords. Uh, ben, counter-cyclical thinking has gone a buy on uh, Fortescue. Uh, Illumina hold from, uh, from Ord, a sell uh, from Ben, Ampole a hold from both. Um, AGL a hold from both and James Hardy a hold from both. Um, now at our last virtual investor event we asked if you were interested in adding alternatives to your portfolio. Nearly 70% of you said yes. So we are bringing together expert asset allocators to share how they build a portfolio in a space that's traditionally been out of reach for retail investors. We've also got managers from funds right across the spectrum of alternatives. Uh, so join me for Essential Alternatives. It's happening 18th of October, 11 a.m. Eastern Daylight Time. Free to register. You can see the full agenda at osbiz.co essential. And just a note that a lot of the strategies and products being discussed are only suitable for wholesale or sophisticated investors. So uh, really looking forward to that on the 18th of October. Uh, that's our show for today. Um, David Lane from Ords, good to have you aboard. Thank you for joining us on this Monday. Uh, ben Clark My pleasure. Thank you. from Thanks. TMS, good to see you. Uh, if you've got any stocks you'd like us to cover on the call, uh, just go to wadsbiz.co forward slash call picks or tweet us at TV with the stocks you want us to take a look at. And hey, if you've got a specific question or comment on any of the stocks, add them as well, because we like hearing what you think and the rationale maybe for your question as well. Uh, stick around, The Pulse is next. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.